0: Hello, everybody. (laughs) A little bit of technical confusion. I won't say technical difficulties, but technical confusion maybe, yes. Um, Technology is a blessing and a curse, isn't it? All at the same time. Love it. Love it. Also a lot. Okay, so we are going to be continuing on in our Kingdom Come series. And what I love about this series is it's going to be about two months exclusively about who Jesus is and knowing who he is. We focus here a lot on our four values. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And on Sunday mornings is our main way that we help people know God. And so what we really felt as we were in leading into 2022, praying about where God was taking us this year, and then especially our 21 days of prayer and fasting last month, Pastor Kyle and I really felt Like God was leading us to go through some series this year in our Sunday morning services through teaching and preaching about who God is. We know that he is something called the Trinity, which is three persons in one and it's mind baffling. Maybe just think of it as an egg is all one egg, but it has a shell and a white and a yolk but it's three in one, you know, it's all the egg, right? But <laughs> So maybe think of it like that for now. It's much more complicated than that, and it kind of blows my mind still, but he wouldn't be God if we understood him, right? He would not be God if we understood everything about him. So we are going through different series this year on who God is and the different persons that he is. So right now we're talking about the Son of God, which is Jesus, And what is great about Jesus is he came to this earth specifically to show us the way to live, to save us from our sin, and show us what the alternate way is we can live. And then when he left, his physical body left, he left us his spirit. So that now his spirit can live in us and empower us to live the way that he lived when he was here on this earth. There is a great verse in the Bible that talks about how Jesus has been tempted and struggled in every way just as we have. So he is familiar with our weakness. He is familiar with our struggle. And that is so comforting to me. Let me see if I can get into this. uh, I've had here. I'm probably going to have to get into this a few times. We're on battery save mode. Um, I usually print off a hard copy just in case. And I forgot to print one off this week. So bear with me. Snow this week threw me off a little bit. Um, First, what I want to do is we're going to play a little game together. Does anyone ever remember playing Simon Says, okay, or Follow the Leader or any other games like that? There's a whole bunch of Red Rover, Red Rover. I guess you're like following commands in that. Did anyone ever break their arm or anything like that during Red Rover, Red Rover? I felt like I was going to be breaking my arm, but I never did. So I can't get this pulled up. So what we are going to do here, you can get it up. Google Drive, please. (laughs) Had it pulled up last night. It just logs out every single time it closes. So what we're going to do today, we are talking about Jesus as Rabbi. So what we're doing for this series is we're going through the whole book of Mark. That is like the shortest version of the Gospels. It's 16 chapters instead of the others are 20-something. So we're going through Mark to get a summary of who Jesus was and how he lived. We have, thanks very much. We have been, uh, Kyle and I have been reading through Mark like so many times (laughs) over the past month or so because we want to get, okay, where are all the parts in Mark where it shows us who Jesus is as a teacher, where he's talking about parables, where he's talking to the religious people, the religious leaders. We want to get all of the themes throughout the whole book, okay? So we're not necessarily going, okay, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, although we did do chapter 1 last week. We're taking all of the themes throughout. And we're going to take one of those themes and then do a message on it week by week. So today, what we're talking about is Jesus as rabbi. Because after our kind of introductory chapter in chapter 1, it then starts to show immediately into him calling his followers. We saw a little bit of that actually in chapter 1. So what I want to do to illustrate this point is I need you all to stand up if you're able. Okay, shake it out a little bit. Stand up, stand up. All right, so we're going to play Simon Says. I'm Simon. Uh, Simon says pat your head. Uh, Simon says rub your belly, which I can't do but do it. Now, don't forget the rules. You cannot stop patting your head while you're rubbing your belly or you're out, okay? So you got to do, okay, stop doing all of those things. And now what I want you to do is just raise your hands like you just don't care. Just throw them up in the air. Thank you, thank you. Okay, all right. That's all you can be seated. Simon says be seated. Oh, Simon says stop. But see, in that, you're trying to do what I'm doing. You have to have your eyes fixed on me and what I'm doing to know what to do, when to stop. Now, I might try to throw you off, right? If I'm, like, trying to be tricky and I'm not a good Simon, right? Then I might try to throw you off by saying, all right, now rub your belly. And then I do this. And so you follow. You, like, mirror me. But uh, I was just tricking you because I didn't say Simon says. So you've got to be, like, tuned in listening. You've also got to have your eyes going but on the right thing, right? And that can't be more than listening to the voice. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because today we're going to talk about why Jesus called and led followers and how we are to follow him based on what he told us and how he lived by example while he was here. So the first thing is many times if you've read any of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, they're called the Gospels. Gospel means good news and basically those four books, they're right at the beginning of your New Testament, Those four books just tell us the life and teachings of Jesus. They are great to read. If you're starting reading the Bible, start there. There's no better place to start than Jesus. (laughs) How he lived and what he told us to do and how he told us to live. But many times throughout that, you will hear people call him rabbi. They will say, you are rabbi such as, like, I'm going to try to get your attention. Instead of, Anna, will you do this? Rabbi, will you tell us this? Okay, so what is a rabbi? A rabbi is in the Jewish tradition, what they call their teachers. But it's more than just a teacher. It's more than someone who gets up and teaches through a lesson. What you would do if you were a rabbi, it was one of the highest orders Um, it it wasn't high up like in like governmental, their religion and their government were kind of intertwined a lot. It wasn't into the government side, but it was like the highest part up theologically. Like these people studied under another rabbi who studied under another rabbi, and they would just keep on um, going with teaching, and then they would get their own disciples or followers or apprentices That they recruited to study under them. So there would be a rabbi and then he would have his disciples or followers, apprentices, whatever you want to call them. I'm going to use all of them interchangeably. He would get all of that together. And then he would, what you would do as a follower if you were following a certain rabbi is you would be with them all the time. Because you would want to know everything about their life. Because this was like someone you almost idolized, right? If you were committing your life to following the life and the teachings of a rabbi, you would be with them all the time, sharing life, doing life. So the first thing when we think about Jesus as a rabbi, and we always hear about all his sidekicks right with him. The 12, there were three that were really close to him, and then the 12 that were close to him. He's always talking about them. Those are his followers that are with him, living in and out every day, all the time we got to be with Jesus. If we're thinking of him as our rabbi, we've got to be with him. It's like if you really, really want to get good at Simon Says, you got to know all the people that you play with all the time. And you've got to spend so much time just reading their thoughts, finishing each other's sentences, so you can tell the little tell when they're about ready to try to throw you off by saying, don't rub your head anymore. But really, they want you to keep rubbing your hands. You know, you've got to get to know them. So you know them inside and out. So we need to be with Jesus. That's what he was as a rabbi. But then the next thing as a rabbi is you want to start to do what they do. So it's not just that you're with them all the time, but then you start to actually do what they do. So if the rabbi teaches this way or does these types of prayers or does these types of exercises or spiritual practices or disciplines then you're going to start doing those same things that that rabbi does. If there is a teacher or a pastor or a mentor that I really look up to, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I would really like my life to look like theirs. I love the way that this person loves their spouse. I love the way this person parents their children. I love the faith that this person has. I want to be with them, yes, but then I want to start doing some of the things that they implement in their life, right? So if you're getting really good at Simon Says, And you know the kid on the playground who is the best at sinus. I mean, he gets everyone out in the first, like, two or three rounds. Like, all the kids are out like that because he's so good at this game. You want to start to do what he does. You're going to start to pick up on his little tips and tricks of how he does it. The speed he goes at, the cadence, the tricks, the motions. You're going to want to start to do what he does, right? So we want to do what Jesus does. And then lastly, what you would do if you were following a rabbi... Is So you'd be with them, do what they do, and then, I'm going to remember it, be with Jesus. Oh, I skipped one. So the third one, it's be with Jesus, number one. Third one is do what they did. The step in between is to become like them. You want to become like the rabbi you're following. So is this person a really patient person? then maybe I need to work on my inside on how to be more patient because I'm not going to be able to do what they are doing if I don't also have the inside to match what's happening on the outside, right? So we want to be with Jesus, become like him. You can be with someone, not become like them, but the more you hang around them, the more you'll become like them. And then we'll be able to do what he did. We can't do one of those without the other coming before it. If we try to just go out and do what Jesus did, but we haven't spent any time with him, we haven't worked on our heart to be like his heart, we're not going to be able to be as patient and kind as he was. We're not going to be able to discern what's okay to get angry at in a righteous way and what is sinful anger. We're not going to be able to know which people to call out and which people to bite our tongue on. We're not going to be able to know that if we don't have the heart like him, we can't get the heart like him without spending the time with him. So what we need to do is think about Jesus as our rabbi and think about us as the rabbi's apprentices. Okay, so that's kind of the premise on Jesus as rabbi. So we've got to start with the basics. If Jesus is the rabbi, what is his message? What is his main philosophy that he's teaching and presenting? And Kyle talked about it last week because it's in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 14 Later on, after John the baptizer was arrested, Jesus went back into the region of Galilee and preached the wonderful gospel of God's kingdom. His message was this, at last the fulfillment of the age has come. It is time for God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. Turn your lives back to God and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. We already talked about gospel means good news and it's mentioned twice here. Jesus' message was the gospel, the good news. The good news of what? It says preach the wonderful good news of God's kingdom. And then later, turn your lives back to God and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. This was his message, that we would be filled with hope, that we would share life that is filled with hope, that we are hope givers, that we are life bringers. That if we are made in his image and he has breathed life into us, how much more so do we take the life breath in us and breathe that into others and share that with others. The wonderful good news of God's kingdom is not that it's coming, not that when we die we will be there. The good news of God's kingdom is it is here now. That it came with Jesus it says the kingdom, Jesus said the kingdom of God is now accessible. When Jesus came as God, fully God and fully man to the earth where we mortals live, he came down, made himself like us so that heaven's realm blends with the natural. So that heaven's realm, you know what extraordinary is? Extraordinary, extraordinary is something extra than my ordinary. When Jesus came, he added extra to our ordinary. You know what supernatural is? It's when Jesus came, he added his super to our natural. That's what it means for the kingdom of God is here now. That's what the good news is. That we don't have to rely only on our ordinary or only on our natural. Because Jesus came and blended the realms together. And now we are living in that blended realm. Now when we pass on and we go to heaven, we will be fully in the super. We will be fully in the extra. But how many of you are glad we're not just in the ordinary or just in the natural? We're now in the blended realms. And that is the good news of his kingdom come here. So that was his message. And that was a message that we will see over and over and over again. As you read through Mark, as we teach through Mark, as you read about the life of Jesus, you will see over and over again people who have listened to teachers for decades, for their whole lives. They grew up listening to teachers constantly. They would constantly say, and they were astonished, what he was teaching and they were astonished at the way he was teaching. They were astonished at all of it because it wasn't a normal teaching. It was something like they've never heard before and he did it in a way and for a reason why that they had never experienced before that no teacher like him had ever had. So that's the what. We now have his super added to our natural and the kingdom realm is here and that's the best news. But why? Why did he call followers? Why did he present himself as a rabbi? Why is that one of the primary ways we see throughout his whole time on earth that he chose to go about this? Because the Israelites that he came to, the Jewish people, thought he would come as a warrior king. They thought he would come and enact war revolution, that he would overthrow the government, that he would build an army, and that it would happen with the sword. That's what they were expecting. That's a type of king that they had had experience with. That's the type of king that they thought he would be. So why instead did he come as a rabbi? Why did he come not just as a teacher or a preacher or a traveler who teaches as he goes, but why a rabbi that recruits people to do life all day in and out in this deep new way of teaching? We see why in chapter 3 of Mark. In chapter 3 of Mark. Number one is that Jesus led with relationship. Jesus led with relationship. Mark 3.13 says, Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to himself the men he wanted to be his close companions. So they went up with him, and he appointed the twelve, whom he named apostles. He wanted them to be continually at his side and his friends. He wanted to have people, that his apprentices wouldn't just be apprentices, but that his apprentices would be his companions, his friends, that he would do life in and out with them. And this is where, so if we know God, then we see where we get the find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. Because this is finding freedom, when we do life in relationships. And he modeled that from before day one of his ministry starting on earth. He called The people who would become his closest friends and companions to himself. We have got to have people in our lives who are also seeking the things of God. Who are also apprenticing under the rabbi Jesus. Who are also spending time with Jesus, becoming like him, and then going and doing what he's doing. Because have you ever heard the phrase that you become like the five people that you spend the most time with? Think right now about the five people you spend most of your time with. If you had to do a time audit of your week, set aside all of the hours that you're spending with people, who are the top five on the list? And now ask yourself, do you really want to be like those people? Are those people you want to look like in the next year, five years down the road? Do you want to look like those people? Do you have five people? Do you have five people that you're spending? any amount of time with throughout your week or your day or whatever. Maybe you need to get some people. You might need to get some people that can pour into your life. We do that through small groups around here where you can start to build a relationship and do life together. But you you may need to swap out some people. You may need to, maybe it's not completely cutting someone out of your life. Maybe it's just decreasing the amount of time you spend with them and upping the amount of time you spend with someone who is what you want to become like. But we, if we want to become like Jesus, we have to have people around us who are also becoming like Jesus, right? If we want to do what Jesus did, we've got to be with people who, when we're doing things together, we're doing what Jesus did. If I want to live like Jesus because I believe that he presented us the best way to live, then I need to be with other people who believe that too. Believe that Jesus' life here presented us with the best way to live. So Jesus led with relationship. And number two reason why Jesus led this way is Jesus led to empower. Jesus led to empower. The next verse, 314, says, and so that he could send them out to preach. Verse 15, and have authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. That's moved us now into... Do what Jesus did, right? Not just be with him and become like him. That's him leading with relationships. But then we have the become like him leading into do what he did. So he led to empower. And it says it right in these three verses here where he is picking the 12 closest apprentices to him, the 12 closest companions to him. We get both of these. He wanted them as friends and so that he could send them out to preach and to have authority, and to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. He wanted them to be able to become like him, and do what he did. He wanted to empower them, and how did he define was the best way to do that? To be friends and companions. Do you ever think of Jesus as your friend and companion? If you don't, maybe look at how much time you spend with him, or what kind of time you spend with him. Is it only Thinking of him as a high king upon a throne, he is. And we need those moments. And we preached about it for our Christmas series about him as the king. That's important. But just like I'm not only a mom, but I'm also a wife, I'm also a pastor, I'm also a friend, I'm also a daughter. He's not only king, he also wants to be your friend and companion. And when some of the time that we spend with him isn't just about him being the savior, or just about him being the deliverer, or just about him being... Whatever you fill it in, however you spend your time with him, what if you spent some time relating to him as your friend and companion? I have a really close friend of mine and her husband is in the army. And he was deployed to, um, I don't know if I'm going to remember what it was, not Kosovo. It's something else like that. Anyway, he was um, over there for, oh, Latvia, which is probably totally different than Kosovo. Anyway, he was in Latvia for a while. He was there for nine months. And while he was gone, she doesn't have any kids or anything, so it was just her in the house. First of all, she led a freedom group at her church. She helped them get that started and going. So she poured her life into ministry while she had the time to do that. But also, she said, Anna, while Brian was gone, I would just lay in bed and talk to God, like out loud talk to God. And it would just be me and him talking. And now Brian's home, and I feel kind of weird about it. But I miss having that relationship with God, so I think I'm just going to keep doing it. And maybe he'll just think I'm weird. But you know what happened? She decided to keep just talking to God. She was laying in bed. And you know what ended up happening? Her and her husband ended up talking to God together. They ended up praying for each other, talking to God together, because she didn't cut off her friendship with God just because now there was another physical body in the room. (laughs) She kept it going, and they ended up, Becoming like Jesus together. Being with Jesus together. They shared it with each other. So we need to think of Jesus as our friend and companion so that he will then be able to empower us. So those are the two reasons why. This is going to be the last kind of area we break down, but there are several points in it. So how then do we follow Jesus? We know what his message is. We know what it means to be a rabbi. We know how uh, why he did it so now let's look at how we follow him how do we follow him how do we say yes to that call how do we become like him spend time with him and do what he did number one we see modeled in scripture is immediately follow jesus immediately i mean i mean we're going to give an opportunity later to like in a few moments to make the choice to follow Jesus, but you can do it right where you're at. All it has to do is be a little thought. Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm going all in. I'm doing this thing. It doesn't, you do not have to wait for anybody. You can do it right where you sit. Immediately followed Jesus. 118 says, immediately they dropped their nets and left anything, everything behind to follow Jesus. And then he went and called a tax collector, uh, Matthew. These were fishermen, but later he calls a tax collector, Matthew, also known as Levi. And he called him, he said, Matthew, you come follow me, and immediately, immediately, he drops everything, leaves his whole career, and it was a lucrative career. Left it all and followed Jesus. Didn't care what he was giving up. He left it all. There was uh, some other fishermen who dropped their nuts immediately and followed Jesus. They left their dad. Dad was like running the business, and they were working for their dad, like family business, right? And he goes, "Hey, uh, James and John, I want you to follow me." They're like, "Bye, dad." <laughs> Leave. We got people leaving family, leaving work, leaving money, leaving it all behind to follow Jesus. Leaving it all behind. What is Jesus asking you today to leave behind to follow him? And when he asks you, when he presents you with what that is, are you going to be willing to drop it immediately? Will you say yes immediately? Or will you throw out excuses? We see that too, where Jesus would call people and they'd throw out excuses. They wouldn't be able to do it for whatever reason. Number two, it goes hand in hand with this, is sacrifice. Sacrifice. We have to sacrifice in order to truly follow him. It's not like we just hit the follow button on Instagram. It's not like we just add friend on Facebook. It's more than that. We have to sacrifice something to be in relationship, I remember I remember when um, it was I think it was the night before our wedding. I was getting ready for bed and I was looking in the mirror I just looked at myself. you know like the difference between looking at yourself and like looking like into yourself Like you're like, oh my eyes aren't just for mascara they're also the window to the soul. And you, like, all of a sudden, like, really look at yourself like you're another person standing there. I looked at myself. It was the night or maybe two nights before I got married. And I had plans before I met Kyle. I was like, I wanted to get married right after college originally, but then I, like, wasn't meeting anyone. (laughs) So, I was like, well, this isn't going to happen. So, I was coming up with plan B and I was getting really excited about plan B. Me and my best friend, we were going to move to California. For some reason, we thought we were going to be roommates when she wanted to go to San Francisco and I wanted to go to LA. I don't know how we thought that was going to work. But we were going to move and we're going to get a studio apartment together in California. I don't even know if I knew what a studio apartment was. And I was going to go to grad school. I found a theological seminary I wanted to go to. I wanted to get my degree in marriage and family therapy. And I was so excited. She was going to go be a nurse. And, she, you know, we had all of these plans. And it was so wonderful. Well, then I met Kyle. rest is history, yada, yada. But a couple of nights before our wedding, I looked at myself in the mirror. And I said, Anna, is this something... Is this relationship, this marriage, something that you're willing to sacrifice your other dreams for? (laughs) My dad always said, it is never late until it's consummated. That's what he always told me. That's what my dad always said. Like, if you get in the car after the wedding and he starts hitting you or something, you get out. It is not too late. That's what my dad always told me. Not about him. He didn't think he was going to hit. My parents were all like, I had, like, introduced him once to my parents. My friend, so are you in love yet? When's the date? I was like, What? You have always kicked out every guy I have ever brought home, like, immediately upon seeing them. So I don't know what the deal is with Kyle. Must have been a God thing. Anyway, but I looked in the mirror. And I said, are you really willing to give up these other things? Because who knows when you may be able to do that again, if ever. And I said, yes. I think that it is worth it. And for any relationship that is important to you, there come sacrifices. This, this. I can have it all is a lie of the world that keeps us always wanting more, never satisfied, never content, and always feeling like we're not enough, always feeling like we have to be better. It is okay to give up some things for something else. It is okay. If it is something God is calling you to do, give it up. Jesus said another time, and I'm sure we'll get into this in another series, but he says, actually, it might be. In today's message. Um, He says, how how would it benefit you to gain the world but lose your soul? And looking back, I could have easily said, no, I'm not, I don't need no man, and I'm not giving up my dreams and my desires for a man, like bought into that. I could have said that, and I could have gone on, and I could have been in massive debt, and I could have uh, got my degree, and I could have been practicing therapy and missed out on Kyle, and he had sacrifices he had to make for me as well. He got like a dream job opportunity while we were dating, but it would have taken him states away. And I was like, well, we can't get engaged, and I'm not moving out there um, if we're not engaged. And we can't get engaged because we we were dating long distance at the time. And if it was going to stay long distance, I was like, this is never going to work. He made sacrifices for our relationship too. But you know what? God has something more than we could ever ask or imagine on the other side if we trust him. If we trust him. And he will work it for our good if we step into what he's calling us to do. So with any relationship, with any calling, there will be sacrifice. And sacrifice is a good thing. It's a good thing. We think it's a bad thing. But when it is for what God's calling us to do, sacrifice is a good thing. And we may need to discipline ourselves to sacrifice a little more. So we need to be willing to leave. And So we're going to talk about this story. It's often called the rich young ruler. It's in Mark 10. He was... Jesus was going about his business, and a young man came up to him, and um, he was very wealthy at a very young age, and he came up to him, and he was like, he called him rabbi, and he said, what do I have to do to be saved, what do I have to do to get the kingdom of God, basically, what do I have to do to follow you and get into heaven, right, he wanted, it. his heart was in the right place, it was good intentions, It was good motivations even maybe. And he says, I have kept all the Ten Commandments. And he lists them out. He's like, I've done this. I do this. I do all of these things. It was very performance checklist based. And then Jesus said, okay, all that's great. That's good, 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 good job. Uh, So what I need you to do is sell everything you have and give it all to the poor. And it literally says in verse, uh, we're in Mark 10, verse 21. Jesus fixed his gaze upon the man with tender love and said to him, yet there is still one thing you are lacking. Go sell all that you have and give money to the poor. Then all of your treasure will be in heaven. And this particular thing, the thing the guy wasn't willing to sacrifice, Jesus wanted him to sacrifice it, not because he needs Saul to be poor, not because he hates money, but because he knew that's what was in place of him in his heart. He knew that's what the idol or the God of his heart was. And so when he's asking us to sacrifice, a lot of the time, it's because he knows that thing we need to sacrifice, the thing we need to immediately give up, is the thing that is displacing God on the throne of our heart. After you've done this, come back and walk with me. Completely shocked by Jesus' answer, he turned and walked away, very sad for he was extremely rich. He was sad because he chose his riches over the kingdom of God in eternity with him. Jesus looked at the faces of his disciples and said, how hard is it for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom realm? The disciples were startled when they heard this. But Jesus again said to him, children, it is next to impossible for those who trust in their riches to find their way into God's kingdom. He's talking about us having not just with riches, but what is it in your life that you think are the riches in your life? What is it that you build up as your kingdom and your treasure on earth? It could even be things that are good things. Is our whole life and identity wrapped up in our children, or in our relationship, or in our job title, or even the position we serve at church? Or is our identity wrapped up in Jesus, in his calling, and his purpose and his mission? The disciples, uh, Jesus in verse 27, Jesus looked at them and replied, With people it is impossible, but not with God. God makes all things possible. We cherry pick this verse and say it for anything we want, right? But it's talking about displacing God on the throne of our heart. It might feel impossible, whatever it is you feel God nudging on you to sacrifice, to give up immediately, to walk away. It's not impossible. It might feel impossible. I can't give that up. It's too hard of a struggle. Nothing is impossible. With him, with God, all things are possible. Then Peter spoke up and said, Can't you see that we've left everything we had to cling to you? Listen to my words, Jesus said. Anyone who leaves his home behind and chooses me over children, parents, family, and possessions, all for the sake of the gospel, it will come back to him a hundred times as much in this lifetime. Homes, family, mothers, brothers, sisters, children, possessions, along with persecutions. Well, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the good news. Along with persecutions, and in the age to come, he will inherit eternal life. No matter what we go through, no matter what we give up, he will give it back to us a hundredfold. And when you're experiencing persecution because of the life you're living for Jesus, when people lie about you, insult you, gossip about you, throw you under the bus, because of the life you're living for Jesus, it is a great sign that you're on the right track. Because not only is he going to give you all these blessings a hundredfold when you give of what you should to follow him. It says he'll also give you a hundredfold persecutions. (laughs) That will also happen. But when we suffer with him, we become one with him. Persecutions are a blessing in disguise. All right. We need to move on. So we're going to go to number three, how we follow Jesus. Number three is we receive power. He wants to empower us. He wants to give us power and send us out. But we have to be willing to receive it. So in Mark 6, verse 7, it says Jesus gathered his 12 disciples, those are his closest companions and friends, and imparted to them his authority to cast out demons, then sent them out in pairs. So he literally, this is not like he's done all the ministry training, good, you're good to go, you have perfected all the certifications. No, he just sends them out. Verse 12, so they went out and preached publicly that everyone should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. He actually sent them out to start doing the work of the ministry. He sent them out to do it. He empowered them. He gave them the authority they needed. But they had to receive it and say, yes, I will go. Not just, no, I'm just going to sit here and keep following you and keep reading my Bible and keep listening on Sundays and keep singing the worship songs and I'm, I'm going to give up my secular music for my Christian music and that's going to be good enough, right? No, he's like, all right, go, see ya, put it to practice. You have been with me. You've become like me. Now I want you to go do what I do. We've got to receive the power and go use it. Number four today, number four is be renamed. This really goes along with, with receiving the power. We need to be renamed. Uh, Mark 3 verse 6 says, he appointed, or verse 16, I'm sorry. He appointed his 12 and gave Simon the nickname Peter uh, the rock. So Peter was originally Simon. Jesus renamed him Peter, which meant the rock. And he gave to the brothers Jacob and John, also known as James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the nickname B'nai Raga, which means passionate sons and other translations called sons of thunder. He renamed them, and these just so happened to be his three closest, like the tight three, inner three of the 12, and he renamed them. What is this saying? Jesus wants to give you a new identity. What is your past is your past. Who you've been, what you've done, who you've become like back then, what you've done, who you've hung with, that is the past. And when you come and you say, I want to follow you, you are now the rabbi I will follow. I am giving my life to you as king of my life, and I'm going to become like you and do what you do. He gives you a new name. There's this really powerful scene in the Chosen TV series. It's about Jesus' life with his disciples. If you've watched it, if you haven't, let us help you find a way to watch it. It's remarkable. I want to get resaved every single time I watch it. It's amazing. And there is a time where we follow the life of Mary Magdalene, who was possessed by seven demons, And they were controlling her life. And in it, they kind of uh, add a little bit that may have been parts of her backstory that contributed to that. And she had fallen into this lifestyle of trauma and sin and all kinds of things that happened to her and that she had taken part in. And the demons were controlling her life. The influences of the world, the demonic influences, that realm goes both ways. It's Jesus realm here, but it's also (laughs) the evil realm up here, too. And Jesus came in here to help us. And what he did, she was trying to push away from Jesus, and he was after her. She was trying to push away. And in the show, everyone's calling her Lilith, which was known as the Queen of Demons. Everyone called her Lilith. Um, and she just went by that, went by that. And he said, hey, come here, or something like that. I don't remember exactly. And she said, my name is Lilith. And he, she went away, and he said, Mary. And he called her by her true identity. And in that moment, the demons left. And that scene is so powerful. Because Jesus wants to call you by your true identity, by who you really were meant and designed to be. This life is not about finding ourselves. That's another lie of the world and society. This life is not about finding ourselves. This life is about discovering who God has already made you. God has already made you and equipped you with everything you need to be exactly who you were meant to be and do exactly what you're called to do. All we have to do is allow him to rename us and walk in his power that we received in the new name and calling and identity that he's given us. Number five today is in Mark chapter 6. Number five is unreasonably offensive. Now, don't think I'm saying what I'm not saying. I'm not saying go post on Facebook the most offensive, controversial things you can possibly think of. Please don't do that. That's not where we're getting at. Let me read what it says in the Bible so that you can get where I'm coming from. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus left Capernaum and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. On the Sabbath... He went to teach in the synagogue. Everyone who heard his teaching was overwhelmed with astonishment. They said among themselves what incredible wisdom has been given to him. We talked about this earlier. Where did he receive such profound insights and what mighty miracles throw th- flow through his hands? Isn't this Mary's son? Like we know this guy, just the carpenter, the brother of Jacob, Joseph, Judah, and Simon. And don't his sisters live here in Nazareth? They're like, oh my goodness, we know this guy. Where is he getting all of this? like all good things like he's healing people this teaching is amazing i have never heard a teacher like this before this is just astonishing literally and then at the end next it says and they took offense at him i was reading this out where in the world did that come from they literally didn't do any he didn't do anything offensive <laughs> he was healing people he was doing good things he had like the best teaching they've ever heard like good ways to live your life you know it was great. And it says, and they took offense at him, then jumped on to verse 6. He was amazed at the depth of their unbelief. If we are offended by something that is in the word or that is the truth of who God is or, or the way Jesus lived or his teachings, if we're offended by something, we need to dive a little further into that offense. And we need to say, is there something I don't believe? Is there an area of unbelief here? there are so many things that we don't necessarily think of as connected. He did amazing things, they were offended. That should not normally be a chain reaction, right? And then they were offended and next part of the chain reaction is he was astonished at their unbelief. When someone's offended we don't normally automatically go to, oh they have doubts, right? But that's the chain reaction we see here is he was doing what he was called to do and they were good positive things even to The unbeliever would seem like good positive things, but they were offended, and then he called out their unbelief. He recognized the unbelief in them. We have to, not only for ourselves, but with others, be prepared. There are more people with unbelief, even probably in this room, unbelief at a certain level in the goodness of God, and definitely outside these four walls who are going to be offended and they're going to make it personal when it's not actually personal. It's because they're wrestling with an unbelief about something about the nature of who God is. They don't know him how he is. They don't know who he really is. That's why we're doing this series so we can know who he really is. So our unbelief will be replaced with belief. And so that instead of offense at the things we don't understand or get or agree with, we are able to relish and delight when he does these amazing things in his teachings, in his works, in what he does. But we've got to be prepared that others are going to be offended by us when we are living for him. This does not mean go flaunt everything to everyone. This means live your life for the glory of God and when people get offended and make it personal, you know, no, this is the hundredfold blessings that come along with persecutions from the Lord. And we have from him that we'll talk about in a few weeks. When he was being persecuted, when they were lying about him and insulting him and mocking him and beating him up and crucifying him, he did not say a word to defend himself. He did not say a word. And we follow his example. Number six today is receive new vision. Mark 9 verse 1, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. There are some standing here now who won't experience death until they see God's kingdom realm manifest with power. We need to ask God to open our spiritual eyes, to give us new vision, to give us a spiritual vision. What is his vision for our life? What is the vision he's given this church? If he's called you to be a part of this church, he wants to give you that same vision. He wants to share that with you, to open your eyes to the things you have In the church body you're a part of, but also in your individual life. And number seven, allow failure. Allow failure. We talked about earlier, receive power. He sent them out. This was not at the end of his ministry after he had already died and rose again. This was while they were still in progress. This was while they were still uploading, still buffering, still getting there. They weren't all the way there yet. And he sent them out like a finished product, knowing that that they would face barriers, that they would be rejected, that they would mess up. In Mark 9, 28, afterwards, when Jesus arrived at the house of his, uh, his disciples asked him in private, why couldn't we cast out the demon? He answered them, this type of powerful spirit can only be cast out by fasting and prayer. There were some things they didn't know yet. And hopefully, every single one of us can raise our hand and say, we don't know everything there is to know about God or his ways. And that needs to humble us all. We don't know everything there is to know. And so we keep seeking. We get new eyes. We get power from him. We're renamed. We do all these things to follow him, to step in to his purpose and plan for our life. But we stay humble in it because we know we don't know everything. And it's okay to mess up. It's okay to not get it right. And I'm, I'm not talking about sinning. We will sin and he is the Savior and the forgiver of our sins, we should still strive to live in a way that pleases him. What I'm saying is when you are trying to do ministry, when you are trying to serve others and serve God and do the things that he has told us to do what Jesus did, we are not always going to get it right. Sometimes we're going to speak instead of bite our tongue. Sometimes we're going to bite our tongue instead of speak. Sometimes we might sin in our anger. Sometimes we are going to do all these things, but he made room to fail. And you know what the most, one of the most powerful verses to me is this. Paul said, and he was a murderer of Christians before he gave his life and became a follower of Jesus. He would hunt and murder and seek out decrees documenting that he was allowed to hunt and murder Christians. He was actively fighting a war against the way of Jesus. But Jesus still picked him and turned him into the greatest missionary apostle church planter ever. And you know what he said, I boast, he goes through this whole track record of his credentials, of his good things, his stellar resume, all the ways he could brag about how he's the best preacher out there, that he's the best minister out there. He goes, no, I count all that as trash. Instead, I boast in my weakness. What do we brag about? What do we brag about? Do we brag about our weakness? Why did he say that, though? It's not just to brag about our weakness so we can be Debbie Downers all the time. No. I boast about my weakness because when I am weak, he is strong. We can brag where we are weak when we allow room for our failure and our weakness because we let God's grace fill in our gaps. He's given us gifts. He's given us strengths. But we don't boast in the gifts and strengths. We serve and work in the gifts and strengths. And where our gaps are, we say, God, let your grace fill our gaps. Shine bright in my weakness. And that's why we boast in our weakness because when we're boasting in our weakness, we boast in his glory and his greatness within him. That our weakness is a place for him to shine the brightest. So we can't just stuff down our weaknesses and our flaws and hide them and hide them from ourselves even and live in denial that we have them because we're so insecure and we don't want to say it. But no, we say, no, I have aired out my weaknesses because I want him to fill in my gaps so that it can, I can be used even greater for him. We want to let him be the grace that fills our gaps so that we can brag in his goodness and his greatness in our life let's pray lord jesus thank you so much for who you are thank you for your grace thank you for your mercy thank you for all that you do for us thank you that you are the grace in our weakness and i pray that you would teach us and train us to trust in you that you would teach us and train us to rely on you to allow your strength to be the strength in our weakness that we don't need to rely on our own strength but that we just need to give it to you. I'm going to, instead of singing our last song, I want to just read you the words. And I want you to sit there with your eyes closed. Just sit here with your eyes closed and ask the Holy Spirit to give you spiritual eyes, that he would give you new vision. And I want to read this song. We sing it here, House of Miracles. Let me read you the lyrics here and let the Holy Spirit speak to you in this. It says, this is a house of worship. That's our church, but it's also you. It says, we are the temple now. This is a house of worship. This is a place of praise where every demon trembles and we proclaim your name. This is a house of healing. Our hearts are full of faith. You have our full attention. You have the final say. So come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. There's a resurrection power. Your blood runs through our veins. Your kingdom triumphs over even the coldest grave. So we sing come alive in the name of Jesus. I still believe you're moving. I still believe you're speaking. God, I believe you're working all things for good. I fix my eyes on heaven God I receive your vision receive new eyes today God I believe you're working all things for good Jesus we believe you are working all things for good and today we want to receive your vision for our lives we receive your power we receive the new name and identity and calling and purpose that you've given us today. If everyone can still keep their heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to give an opportunity if there's anyone here who needs to give their life to Jesus. Maybe for the first time, maybe first time in a really long time, maybe you've walked away from him or you've never had a relationship like this with him before, but you want to go all in today. You want to make him the Lord of everything in your life and you want to start being with him, becoming like him and doing what he did for the first time. That's you today on the count of three. Just as an act of decision. I want you to raise your hand just so I can pray with you. I'm not going to call you out or anything like that, but on the count of three, if that's you today, one, two, three. Put your hands on up. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Victory Faith, let's pray together. If you could just repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you've chosen me to be one of your followers. I want to follow you. I want to be with you. I want to become like you. And I want to do what you did. So take my life today. Forgive me of my sins. I live for you today. In Jesus' name,